Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' Series, a month-long event celebrating the authors and narrators that bring romance stories to life. Listen along as Viviana, Enchantress of Books, interviews your favorite writers and voices, share special guest posts, and stay tuned for some special information at the conclusion of the episode. Hi, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with guest narrator Steve Campbell. Welcome to the Audiobook Loving Series, Steve. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm, ta- I'm talking to you, so I'm actually great. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking forward to, you know, hanging out and getting to know you better. Speaking of which, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been narrating and how you got started? I've been narrating about five years. Full time, I started in the fall of 2018. Um, I kind of started in a weird area because my background was in construction and uh, I was a construction guy worked on, working on the tools for about just about 20 years and uh, I ended up working my way into having my own incorporated company it wasn't very large but we did a little bit of uh, a little bit of business and and uh, it was doing okay but my body was wearing down and I never wanted to be in construction to begin with And while I was on the tools and I was working, you get really tired of listening to the same top 40 or even if you expand your list of songs to like 400 and something, it it starts to become repetitive. Um, And so I thought, you know what I could be doing with this time is listening to audiobooks, educating myself, improving my mind. And so I started doing just that. And then you can only do so many educational books before you go, I need something more. And that's when I started listening to uh, some fantasy books. I I was a big fan of the Wheel of Time series. I had already read the books up to a certain point. And then as new books are coming out, those books are so big and so dense that rereading the entire series every time a new book came out was not really feasible when you have two young children and a full-time job that you're doing as a self-employed contractor. And so I thought, wow, this is an opportunity for me to listen to this. And then I just had my eyes opened to this world of how these narrators were creating movies in your mind. And I loved it. And I just became enthralled. And I was listening to 10 to 14 hours of audio every day. And, uh, and so uh, before I ever even got into narrating, I had listened to well over 10,000 hours of audiobooks. And uh, I started listening because I had a background when I was younger. I had a passion for acting and drama, and I was in all plays and I was doing different um, performances and did a little, very tiny little bit of touring after I got out of high school. But I never felt, I never felt like I could be that person that would go to Hollywood and make it as an actor. I was too realistic to think that the big fish in the small pond becomes the really tiny minnow in the shark tank. So I was just like, I'm not going to be able to do that. That's okay. I'm too realistic for that. I don't have to worry about becoming a Hollywood actor. And so I put that aside. And so then when I was listening to these people do their performances, I was analyzing it from, well, how are they performing that? How are they making those voices? Well, why are they doing it that way? Why did they why did they put that emotion or that inflection into that sentence? And I just found it fascinating. And so then that got me going down the road of, of trying to find behind the scenes uh, work, which at the time was almost non-existent. There was a very few little snippets of a couple of narrators that were doing 
uh, some behind the scenes reading that you could watch because I was curious on like, did they make mistakes? How did they read a 50 hour book without making a pause or a stop or a break? What, how does that work? And so I started researching that and checking that out. And it got me more and more passion, uh, passionate about the process. And then when my boys were at home, I would be reading them uh, books and trying to do the best I could to narrate them with voices and with inflection and with everything that I've been learning from all of these incredible narrators that I've been listening to. And, uh, and then I had uh, a few books that I was listening to that were very popular books were done by, you know, big publishers had big names attached to them. And, and uh, I would listen to them and go, what? Oh, ow, no, no. Why, 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 why would they hire? Oh man. No, I, <laughs> I could do a better job than that. I could do a better job. Wait, I could do a better job than that. How, how do you do a job like this? And so then my research shifted into trying to find out how I could become a narrator. And so then from there, uh, things kind of snowballed and I, I wanted to do a test run. I'm, again, I'm one of those people that I want to make sure that I'm able to do something before I leap right in and go, okay, here I am and I'm going to try it. And so I recorded on my phone with my earbuds, a first chapter of a book that I re really thought I liked. And I always thought, and I've worked on my voice a while so that I could kind of bring down my resonance. But usually when I get excited or when I'm really passionate about something, I get really high and I start talking like this. And then I'm up here and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is really exciting. And so it's not really hard for me to get into like a kid's kind of voice where it's just like, okay, so today what we're going to do is, so I thought I would do a lot of middle grade or youth books or YA and so that was what I had kind of chosen to do in this chapter. And I sent it to some people who listen to audiobooks that I know and said, okay, I want you to listen to this and be honest, please. Do you think that I could actually do this? Would you listen to this? And they listened and were like, oh yeah, no, this is awesome. This is great. And so then it took me a while before I wound up my courage to be able to say to my wife, hey, hon, <laughs> I want you to listen to something for me. And tell me what you think. And uh, my wife is a very practical woman. And she is, as she will put it, she is, she has said that she's very judgmental and she has a hard time. Um, she's very kind with other people. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, she's, she's very kind, but she's very, like, she's, she's the practical one, um, which I need because I have ADHD, like hardcore. And so I'm like, ooh, shiny, ooh, shiny, ooh, squirrel, you know, so she helps bring me down to like a reasonable level so that I don't spend all my money on every little project that I think is going to be the next big thing for me to do. And uh, it sometimes she, I ignore her advice and get a whole bunch of projects anyways. But um, this was one of those things where I was like, okay, I'm going to see what she thinks about this. And she doesn't listen to audiobooks. She doesn't, she's not an audio listen, audio learner. And so she doesn't prefer it. And so it was, I already felt like I have this uphill battle that I was going to be going against. And uh, I said, okay, I want you to listen to some of these people. And I gave her some samples of some people I thought were really good. And I said, okay, now I want you to listen to some of these people. And these are the ones who were popular or they had had some success, but I was just feeling like, no, this is not amazing at all. And I said, okay, now I want you to listen to this. And I played her uh, the bit or a few minutes of the chapter that I had recorded. And 
waited with breathless anticipation for her response and just fear and my heart just hammering out of my chest. And, and she turned to me and she looked at me dead in the eyes and she said, you could do this. And I was just overwhelmed, overwhelmed because I knew that my wife is not the type of person to pander. She's not, when you know somebody or you love somebody that is very sparing with their praise, when you finally get that approval, whether it's from a father-in-law or a mother or, you know, someone in authority over you who you just, no matter what you do, no matter how much you try, they just, it doesn't quite seem to be enough or they don't, they're always, they have that criticism. And so maybe they love you, but they always have that thing that, you know, it's like, well, you should have done this and you know, you could do this. And so when someone like that, and not to say that my wife is hypercritical, but <laughs> I feel like I'm painting my wife this. horrible brush. <laughs> I no, don't, no, I'm no. not worried about her listening to this. Yeah. She's like, no, you, you do your audiobook thing. I don't want to hear about it. That's fine. You bet. But she looked at me and said, you could do this. And it was just like the skies opened up and angels came down and there was trumpets and, and it was just like this chorus of hallelujah started going on. And I was like, yes, it was really, it was the first time that I was like, okay, I, I could do this because then, you know, when someone that's that critical gives you that you could do this, then, you know, that you've hit on something. And, uh, and so then it just started snowballing from there. I got a bunch of coaching. I took a bunch of training. I wanted to make sure that I was putting my best foot forward and I tried to learn as much as I could. And thankfully for me, being a Canadian at the time, ACX wasn't an option. You couldn't become a member of ACX unless you lived in the US or the UK at the time. And so the very low bar that ACX is into the realm of getting into audiobook narration wasn't available to me. And so I had to try and find other avenues or ways to get into the industry while learning and practicing and honing my craft. And so it was a number of months that I was able to practice and learn and do my, you know, do everything I could to try and make sure that I was ready for when that moment or that opportunity came. And, uh, and then ACX opened up and I had a couple of other uh, small independent publishers that you know, I was willing to work with me and I had met a very lovely narrator by the name of Sarah Puckett and she was just starting out and she had posted in one of the Facebook groups uh, that she was like, I've heard of this thing called duet narration and I kind of, I'm interested in checking out duet, dual narration, something like that. Uh, and I'm curious if there are any male narrators who'd like to try something like that. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. And because she's American and I'm Canadian, we can do ACX stuff and just do it through her account and have it work out that way. And so I talked to her about that and asked her and she says, yeah, no, let's totally do it. So we auditioned for a few projects. We got a couple of projects. We did a couple of projects together and we had an awesome time doing it. And, uh, and then everything kind of snowballed from there. How's that for a really long story? <laughs> no, I love it. And I'm actually really uh, like, in awe that you actually did the training first. I tend to see a lot of people like, oh yeah, I was told that I have a good voice. So I looked into the mics and then I made the closet into the booth and I started, you know, auditioning. And then later they get coaching. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, wow. Cause I'm the same way I, I get training first and then I pop into doing things. Uh, so yeah, I like, I'm, cool. I'm all for trying new things. I'm a big proponent for that. In fact, I had, um, again, relating to audiobooks. Um, I, I was in construction already, so I, I am pretty good with my hands. I do have some handyman stuff available to me, but I've never worked with appliances or anything like that. But I was listening to, uh, world war Z 
by Max Brooks. And one of the things I found fascinating in that book is how he practically talks about how the people who were in, I mean, it was in California and there was a, a person that was being interviewed there. And he says, yeah, all of the people who are really important in Hollywood, the agents, the, you know, the executives, all of these, you know, big wigs who are looking down on the lower part of society potentially, or are super important in their job and make tons and tons of money. When the world went to hell, they were useless. They didn't know how to do anything practical. It was the farmers who had kept their tractor running for 15 years. It was the immigrant workers who had been maintaining and, and honing their own tools and, and keeping, keeping things running for forever or being able to repair their own lawnmowers or their own uh, know how to you know, fix a toilet or do all of the, all the stuff that was necessary when you, you can't just go out and buy something new. There's not that option anymore. You need to be able to fix what you have because there's nothing coming down the assembly line. And that really struck me. And at the same time, my dishwasher started leaking. And I was like, oh, no, there's water all over the floor. And even though I'm in construction, my immediate thought was, well, great, we got to go buy a new dishwasher. And I was like, hmm, do we, though? Well, I could buy, a, I could hire a repair guy. But I mean, they charge you $200 just to show up, not fix anything. And so I was like, hmm, well, I'm. I'm fairly handy. I'm not an idiot. Okay, let's check this out. So I pulled out my dishwasher, took a look, found where the leak was, found that little spot, went onto the internet and looked up what that part was called, found a place that sold that part, bought the part, and then took it and replaced it. Now, it took me about 30 minutes, 45 minutes to replace the actual part. And the actual part only cost me $38. And my dishwasher worked again for another seven years. So I was like, there's something to being willing to just try something new, even if it's not something you're familiar with. And, uh, and so for me, though, if I'm doing that, I want to make sure that I'm doing it the best way I can and setting myself up for success. And so that's why when I got into narration, I wanted to make sure that I was putting my best foot forward and doing the best I could because it was something that I wanted to do for a career, not just something I was going to, well, I'll see if this works and it'll be fun. Uh, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. If, if you're doing it for a hobby and you want to just kind of goof around and you just enjoy reading out loud and you want to you try and make that work for you, fantastic, great. And if it ends up becoming a career and you get surprised by that, it was great. But for me, I was in a position where I couldn't have a, another hobby. That was not, I had too many hobbies already, many that didn't get done at all. And so it couldn't be another hobby. And I was desperate to get out of construction because my body was, I had bursitis in both of my shoulders. Um, oh, wow. I was, I was actually, I was functioning on 1200 milligrams of ibuprofen a day. <sighs> and I would come home with literal tears in my eyes because my body was hurting so much. And uh, I was just putting myself through the ringer to try and get the jobs done that I needed to get done because of the, what had happened in the industry. And I, I don't want to get into that because Mm -hmm. you're, you're, we would end up being here for five hours and that's not good. <laughs> so, yeah. but regardless, I needed, I needed an out. I needed a way to get out of, out of that. And, and I needed some other career. And this was a career that it really resonated with me. And I was very passionate about. So I wanted to make sure that I was doing the best things that I could to make sure that I was setting myself up for success. And being in construction really helped me with that. I actually just recently did an interview with, uh, with Don Barnes. And we talked a lot about this. But um, uh, 
being in construction and understanding how to work with general contractors and with homeowners is very similar to working with publishers and working with authors and how those dynamics work. Because sometimes you're working directly with a homeowner or you're working directly with an author. And sometimes you're working with a publisher or a general contractor. And that general contractor doesn't want you to communicate with the homeowner. And the publisher doesn't necessarily want you to communicate exclusively with the author. They want you to go through them so that they get to keep everybody on the same page and keep everybody in the loop and make sure everybody's saying the right things and not being inappropriate and all that kind of stuff, which is very right and necessary. Um, but it can take some navigating sometimes. And I'm used to navigating that kind of minefield of politics. And so that was great for me. And also being able to know how to sell myself and be confident in what I'm doing, even if I don't feel as confident as I portray. And so that was, those were great lessons for me to learn. I also had a, a guy, one of my bosses who told me when I very first started taping specifically, you're going to suck for the first six months, guaranteed. You're going to be horrible at your job for the first six months. You need to know that. You need to be okay with that because you will want to quit. You will hate it. And so going into narration and listening to myself, because I'd listened to so many other narrators and I would listen to what I had done. And even though at the time I was trying to do the very best I could, when I had a break and I had a reprieve and I came back and then I listened to it again, I go, Oh, good Lord, I suck. I should never be narrating. Who let me do this? Why? Why? Why am I narrating? Who is allowing me to do this? And yet people were asking me to do books. I was getting work. I was very busy. I'm still very busy. And I still have those moments where I'm like, who the hell thinks that I should be narrating? Uh, uh, imposter knows. syndrome. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very real thing. It is. It definitely is. Um, you've been doing this now for quite a while. And one of the things that I've noticed about you is that you do a lot of different kind of voices and tones for the characters. Even when you just do a video on social media, there's certain things there that you can kind of pick up on. How do you go about deciding how a character is going to sound and their tones and things like that? Usually I try and get as much as I can from the text itself because I had listened to so many audiobooks and I had read books before. And I, I don't know, I, I've discussed, I thought everybody did this, but it turns out that not everybody does this. <laughs> um, when I'm reading for myself, which is different than when you're listening to someone else give you voices that they've chosen when you're listening to an audiobook. But when you're reading for yourself, I have those characters saying things audibly in my brain. That's how my brain translates the words that I'm reading. And so I was already practicing for being a narrator before I ever knew what narrating was, uh, because it was just, I would always hear the characters in my head and it helped me identify with them. And it helped me play that movie in my mind when I was, when I was younger and when I would read books or whatever, and especially if those books were made into movies, I would be recalling something. And then I would, I would really struggle because I was like, okay, was that in the book or was that in the movie? And because they play very similarly in my mind, I have a hard time differentiating the two. And, uh, and so for me, coming up with voices sometimes can be a great struggle. Sometimes it is the easiest thing in the world, especially when you have a really good author who can write characters differently. You'll have some authors who they might have a great idea for a story. They might have great writing and great prose but they don't know how to differentiate the characters. So all their characters use the same lingo, use the same idioms, talk in the same manner, everything. And so you have to work that much harder as a narrator 
to try and create a difference between these two characters who say almost all the exact same words the exact same way. And it's like, ooh, okay, let's, how, how do we work that? And then you'll have some where um, I did a book series, uh, it was called The Guild Corps. And one of my favorite characters of all time was in that series, his name was Bancroft. And uh, he, was, he was actually a dungeon core. Um, he was a rock, essentially, a sentient rock, a dungeon. And the way that the author had written him, his voice just immediately popped right into my brain. And I was like, that is, that is him. That is exactly how he sounds. And so then when I was voicing the character, it just came out and it was exactly how I wanted it. Now, there are some times when I get that and I'm like, this is exactly how I think this character should sound. And I can't physically do that with my voice. And I'm like, son of a bitch. That's really frustrating. <laughs> Most often that happens when you have some female character. I worked really hard on getting, uh, I wanted it to be a thing where I didn't have my females sound ridiculous and not real. That is so grating as a listener from myself. And I know that there are many other listeners that hate it. When you have guys that go, oh, a girl should sound like this all the time. This is the way a girl sounds. No, it's not. No, mm -hmm. it's not. <laughs> and so you have to try and figure out, okay, how do I sound feminine without making it sound like I'm trying to sound like a girl? And that took a lot of work for me to kind of get that honed in and down. And sometimes I, I, actually, I actually had a review that came in that, that one time said, I love his female characters. They're all great. Not a fan of his male voices, though. And I was like, <laughs> okay, there. That, that hurts a little, and I feel okay about it, too. It's, uh, yeah, that's a kiss 22. I'm not yeah. good at my own gender. Oh, no. <laughs> no, that is some, some, definitely something that is a pet peeve of mine when it comes down to the female characters, where they try to make her sound either very breathy and almost like sexualize the entire conversation, even though she's mm -hmm. talking about the dog um, yeah. or Valley girl, California. Yeah. Those are my two like things. I got no stop. Just, just go mm -hmm. a little lighter. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun because there are certain times where you feel like that voice is exactly what it's, what is needed, but you have to be very careful because it has to be like a very small or secondary character Otherwise, people hate them. And so sometimes you can have the flavor of like, oh my God, this is so amazing. I just love it so much. It's just, I just, I just can't wait. I can't believe it. I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's going to be amazing. And you can do that for a little bit. But if you have a whole voice, a whole character or a main character like that, it's like, no, can't do it. I'm done. So, yeah. The other thing too, though, is sometimes that secondary character in book one ends up being the heroine or the hero in book seven. Uh. <laughs> so double-edged sword yeah. yeah i do a lot of series like yeah. a lot of series and uh i've had i because i'm aware also listening to other narrators and their horror stories of what's happened to them and being very aware that you can have a character that's you know super minor and all of a sudden they show up in book three and they're like the main event and you're you're like what the hell because they had one line in book one and you're like okay i can i've i have a hundred characters in this book i gotta give something to this one and it says that his voice sounds like rocks falling down a mountain. Okay. All right. Let's get him sounding really weird. And then you find out that he has a five-page monologue in book four. And you're like, what the hell? I can't do that for five pages. 
So yeah. I've tried to be very cautious about that. And when possible, talk to the author and go, hey, by the way, this character here, do they show up later on? And I actually very recently, a few months ago, uh, was doing another a sequel to a book. And in the first book, there was this tiny little gnome. And I already had gremlins and goblins and bat little bat boys that had these really high and squeaky voices like this. And so everything that I was trying to think of to do for a gnome was already being used. And so I was like, mm, how do I make this gnome sound different? So I looked through and I was like, okay, he only has like three very short lines in this book. And I saw this one part where it looked like he died but you weren't 100% sure. It's one of those things where it was like an explosion and they were like, yeah. you know, dun, dun, assumed dun. to be part of the explosion. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought, I better do my due diligence because if I just assume he's dead and he's going to be gone, I could be screwed later on. So I checked with the author and I said, hey, this character, he dies here, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's totally, yeah, he's dead. I was like, okay, because I'm going to do something with his voice, but it's not sustainable. So I need to make sure that he's dead just to understand why I was asking why this guy was going to be dead. And he's like, yeah, no, he's dead. I was like, okay. The author wrote him back into the book as being reincarnated. And now he's a, like this other, not a main character, but a, a popular secondary character that has a number of lines. And I was like, you, you told me you. And he's like, oh, sorry, I forgot about that. Oh. So even when you try everything you can to make sure that you're doing your due diligence to not screw yourself over. Yeah. Sometimes that happens. The authors are like, dun, 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 and they bring <laughs> them back or they left. But I mean, in that situation, because he was reincarnated, you could have made him sound however. Well, reincarnated is maybe not the right word. He was he was brought back from the dead. The oh, reanimated. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. yeah. It, yeah. yeah, it wasn't a, like an undead situation. Mm -hmm. It was like his spirit was just, it was an ability that someone had. That's one of the things I do a lot of lit RPG. And yeah, that, that takes fantasy and, you know, infuses it with acid. So <laughs> you have yeah. all kinds of the most craziest things going on and some of the craziest characters you can imagine. And trying to voice that is really, really difficult. And I, I know a lot of narrators very successful narrators that are like, I don't do voices. I just, you know, change my intention or I change my demeanor, but I don't do voices. And sometimes, sometimes I envy them because that feels like, oh, that'd be so much easier. But I love getting to put as much distinction in between those voices as I can. I love getting to do lit RPG because as I've said many times before, it's like Saturday morning cartoons for adults. And I love Saturday morning cartoons. So for me to get to play these larger than life characters, because they are meant to be played, they're like video games. And video games are even a larger than life kind of way of being done than many cartoons. Um, but that's kind of where that's kind of where you're at. Not doing caricatures. Right. You still want them to be real, but they need to be big. They need to be large. And that's what the the listeners that predominantly listen to um, lit RPG, that's what they want. That's what they're expecting. And so if you try and play it down and downplay it, then you're 
you're not going to be doing the genre very long because you're going to get a lot of reviews going, man, this person, even myself, I've had, I've had reviews come in where the person goes, I honestly thought that this was a multicast. I did not believe that one actor did all of these voices. Couldn't believe it. Very next review. There wasn't enough distinction or differentiation between the characters. <laughs> yep. They all sounded exactly the same. Oh, are you serious? But I've had, and I mean, it's, it's hard because I know a lot of people go, well, you don't re read reviews. Don't re read reviews. It's horrible. It's bad for your self-esteem. And it was funny because in my first couple of years, if I was ever feeling that imposter syndrome, that self-critical ear that was telling me that I was not good at what I did, the only way that I could combat that oftentimes to be able to get into the booth again was to go and read my reviews. Because most of my reviews, almost all of my reviews were really, really good and glowing reviews. I, I felt like, okay, I've hit this weird, weird vortex where only people who like my books are listening to them and nobody hates them. I had like, I would have like maybe, maybe one or two that I could remember that were, were not great. But most of the time, all of my reviews are really good. Now, I have had since then a few more reviews that have, like, as you increase in the amount of reviews you get, obviously you increase in the amount of negative reviews you get. So, I mean, I get that. But for the most part, I generally am okay reading my reviews. There will be some that kind of, you know, the ones that you feel insecure about, and then they, they point out that insecurity. Then you start to feel like, hmm, yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that hits home a little bit. But generally, I don't have a problem with my reviews. And it's fun to, to read them and be like, you, you always learn to take them with a grain of salt. Because I had, again, same book, one review, and then immediately after another review. And the main character was about 17, 18, I think. And one reviewer said, why on earth does, this, does he make the main character sound like he's 12 years old? He's not 12 years old. He's ridiculous. This is ridiculous. He sounds too young. He needs to sound older. The guy's 17. Very next review. Why on earth does the, does the narrator <laughs> think the character makes the character sound like he's a 43-year-old man? It's too, he's too old. Why, why does he sound like a 40-year-old man? And it's like, how did you, did you read the same book, the two of you? Like, I'm very confused. Yeah. How, how does that work? So you, you learn that it's all subjective. Everything is subjective. And so that's why it's okay when you're becoming a narrator or if, if you're listening to something and you don't prefer it, that's okay. There's a lot of other narrators out there. And for the narrators, you just, you find your niche, you find the thing that works for you and you find the people that really appreciate what you do because not everybody narrates the same. And thank God, thank God we have variety. We have the opportunity to listen to something different, to have a new experience. I've had the very rare privilege well, for me, it was a rare privilege of listening to a sample, an audio sample recorded by multiple different narrators that hadn't heard each other. And you hear the same text read by 5, 10, 15 other people. And you really, it's really fascinating to see how each one of them interprets the text and how they add their own inflection or how they present it and whether they feel like it's something that's morose or they're really excited about it or it's filled with bubbly joy or they're angry. And it's like, there's so many different ways to record this and to say that one is objectively right and one is objectively wrong. Uh, that's yeah. That I don't, I don't think that's the right way to go about it. Yeah. The, uh, 
something I always say to people, um, authors and narrators, and even other readers and listeners, when it comes down to the reviews, there's so many things going on behind the scenes, aside from the, it, it could be if you're an emotion, you know, in the, in the mood kind of a reader where you have to be in that mood to like that book. Otherwise mm-hmm. it's going to hit you wrong to people that are on street teams and are supporting this author and they're not disclosing that it's an ALC or that they work for them. Yeah. Uh, and so, and because not every book can be five stars and things like Wait, that. And, <laughs> I know unpopular opinion, not every <laughs> book can be five stars and not every narrator shocker provides a five-star, you know, performance. It's okay. It's just not everybody's cup of tea. It's okay to give a, a book a four or three or even a one or two. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so that's where I kind of like reading the reviews a little bit and kind of pick here, pick there, pick there. And like even in romance when they're like, it was too much sex. And I'm like, dude, it's an erotica. <laughs> Did you not do your due diligence and figure that out? I mean, yeah, so it's all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm, it's amazing how those reviews different. And I've been the one to also say, did we read the same book? Because it mm. wasn't five. <laughs> I thought he did great. I thought he sounded like he was 17, you know, but yeah. it happens. Yeah. A lot of the things too, aside from the tones and the, and the voices are the accents. Um, do you mm-hmm. have a favorite accent to perform? Uh, me picking favorites is, it just doesn't <laughs> work. It's really hard. I, when I was in elementary school and it was your first day and they were like, okay, you would go around and introduce yourself so that people could get to know you. And one of the things was pick your favorite color. It sent me into virtual panics because I'm like a favorite. I don't have a favorite color. How can I have to have a favorite color? I can, what's my favorite color. And I just, I did, I didn't know. I don't have a favorite anything. And so picking favorites is hard. I do enjoy. I, yeah, I enjoy doing some Irish. I enjoy doing various forms of, of uh, UK accents and uh and some southern stuff it just depends on the mood and it depends on the character so you know like sometimes i i don't know i always gravitate i love having those villains that are like the plantation owners so they have that sound where they're just like all right you're gonna get it and you're gonna get it good i just i don't know i just love the way that goes but one of the favorites one of the favorites on my discord um I have a tendency to rant in, in mm. case you haven't noticed. Um, <laughs> and so not always do I keep my work life and my personal life as separate as maybe people should. And so if I'm dealing with something like I'm working in the booth and all of a sudden I get a text message or I get someone knocking on my door and dad, we need that, you know, then it pulls me out of what I'm doing. And especially when you're live and you have people listening to you, that's a hard thing to just go, oh, just wait here in silence for a little bit while I go and deal with this. So then when I come back and it was something ridiculous, I'm frustrated with my boys and what's happened or whatever. And so then I'll start ranting and they call it the Irish Steve rant because oh. I'll just be like, I don't understand what they're doing. Like, it's just really stupid. It just, it makes no sense to me at all. And so when they're doing this and they can't really do the dishes as well, it just, it just really drives me nuts. And so then I, I do this. I just go into an accent because usually when I'm doing that, I, is this, is there swearing in this or not allowed? Yes, you can. You can. Okay. It's a 18 and over. Go ahead. <laughs> so I, I grew up, I had a really hard time with swearing. I was, I was a very, you know, I went 
I was born on Saturday and church on Sunday and spent most of my life in church. And so swearing to me was not something I was very comfortable with and comfortable with. And actually there's a lovely Sarah Puckett that was like, Steve, you got to learn how to swear because there are going to be characters that swear in your books and you got to be able to swear. Cause you know, those people who you can tell it's like their first or second time saying the word. And it's like, Oh yeah, that's awkward. And so when you have a character that feels very natural swearing, you need to be able to swear. So I had to try and get used to being able to swear. So for me, I don't know why, but if I swear in an accent, it feels less like a swear. Mm. <laughs> so if I'm, you know, like, cause if I'm, if I'm doing and I'm like, Oh, for fuck's sakes, that doesn't really fucking sound like a swear to me at all. It's just a little bit different, you know, so I can say, Oh fuck, this is really good. But it, it doesn't sound as bad if I'm like, that's fucking weird. Like it seems more aggressive when I swear mm. in my own accent. And, uh, and so I don't, that's why I end up veering towards when I'm ranting and I'm willing to, I'm wanting to swear a little bit. I throw in an accent and then it makes it all better. Got it. That's creative. <laughs> or needing therapy. One of the two, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, we live in a world where we have access to a lot of different things. And so we are where, you know, we hear the accents and we hear the different tones and the dialects are also different. Uh, I was driving the other day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, rather, um, with my niece in the car and I saw a parking spot. And as soon as I was pulling into it to start turning into it, I see that the, the guy next to it has parked like an asshole and mm. I can't get in. And so instead I, for some reason, I just, I'm like, fucking hey, what is up with, you know, so something like, um, he parked like an arse and it, the <laughs> Irish kiss came out and my, my niece is like, Thea, where did that Irish accent come from? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. And they just kind of stayed a little bit. It just comes and goes sometimes um, for certain words, like arse, this is like, sounds like more of an Irish word to me. Mm-hmm. Um, or even when I say love, there's a little bit of that, like English kind of a thing. Yeah. But yeah, we're, Thanks, I do. Love. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, or bloody hell, uh, that's another curse word there. Kind of, kind of a thing that doesn't sound like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It, mm. well, and I mean, for me, it's hard because it's very, very rare that I get to do a Canadian book. And so, the thing that I don't know as many people realize as much because I've worked hard on trying to get it to be down, especially like I'm. Uh, visually when I see the words it's much easier for me to maintain the accent um, than when I'm just talking and then I start to slip back into my Canadian Um, but uh, but every book I do all of them are basically I'm working on an accent I'm doing an accent because I don't unless there's a specific Canadian character it's a Canadian book it's all non-native accent for me that's right and so me doing an American accent, even if it's a general American accent, it's still an accent. And now I've been doing it long enough and I've worked with dialect coaches and stuff to make sure that I'm reducing my, you know, my Canadian flair. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not like, I, I don't even think about it hardly at all when I'm reading, there will be certain words like about and out um, that will, I'll see and I'll be like, okay, yeah, no, I need to make sure that I'm not going out um so that it it sounds more american because you'll get caught out on those uh, very quickly uh, believe me i was because i'm i'm from western canada and i was told that our western canadian accent sounds very very similar to 
uh, a Midwestern American accent. And it does. In fact, most of our news anchors are all snapped up by American uh, conglomerates because they're, we're, a lot, we're a lot less lazy in our speech. And so we have a very clear and concise enunciation. And then they just have to work on a few different uh, vowel sounds to make it sound like they're more American, but they really love the, the Canadian newscasters mm-hmm. <laughs> from the West. And so I thought, well, perfect. That's me. Because I, I always heard it whenever an American says, oh, you say oot in a boot. And I'm like, no, I don't. Oot in a boot. Who says oot in a boot? That sounds stupid. And so <laughs> I'm like, who, what Canadian, that must be somewhere over in Toronto or something that they're yeah. saying that. So oot in a boot. So, but then I didn't, like, I didn't notice it. And as Canadians, we don't notice our own accent because we listen to so much American television that we are immune to the differences between an American accent and a Canadian accent. Whereas an American very rarely hears a Canadian speak. And so when they do, they're like, oh, what was that now? And they might not immediately be able to go, that's Canadian, but they can say, that sounds weird. I don't like it. It's weird. It's not normal. What is wrong? And so I, one of my, I think it was my third book before I got any dialect coach. It was one of the ones that made me realize, oh, I need to actually work on this Canadian thing. Um, I had a review that said he had a really good voice. I really liked his narration, great performance, but he said some words that were really weird. I, I don't know. Maybe he's from the UK or something. But he said bean instead of bin. And he said against instead of against. It just, it was really weird. I didn't make it, it didn't under, I didn't know where he was from. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. So <laughs> I do have a few things. It's not just me saying sorry instead of sorry. Okay, I understand now. And so then when I worked with a dialect coach and he started going through all of the different sounds with me, it opened my ears to the difference. And I was like, oh, wow. And so we, he talked about how your American palate is flat, right? It's got that flat sound. And so if you can have that flat sound, then it sounds a lot more American. And so you would say on top of the wall instead of on top of the wall. And so, you know, we would say golf and you guys would say golf. And so that flat, I'm overemphasizing it hopefully a little bit for you. <laughs> But, um, but that made it so that when I got out of that coaching session, it was at the end of my day. And at the time, my wife and I were watching the TV show, Last Man Standing. And, uh, and so we sat down after dinner and we were going to relax and watch an episode of the show. And I mean, I had watched Tim Allen since like I was a little kid on Home Improvement and loved the show and grew up with him, Buzz Lightyear, everything. And so I was very used to his accent. I'd never heard an American word come out of his mouth before. All of a sudden, after this dialect coach, all they sounded like was this flat sound. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it's so nasally. And it sounds weird in my ears. I can't stand it. And I was like, where, what, where did that come from? This guy wrecked my brain because now all Americans sound really nasally and flat to me. What happened? So now that I've gotten used to the American flat accent, <laughs> now when I'm hearing... When I hear my son and he'll be like, yeah, we're going to go to the house. And I'm like, the house? He's like, yeah, the house. And I'm like, what is a house? What is happening here? So it's messed with my brain a little bit. My wife will talk about all her processes at work. And I'm like, do you mean processes? 
Is that what you mean? Because saying process sounds weird to me now. Mm-hmm. So it's, but it's fun. It's fun to get to play around with that kind of stuff and, and, and listen to how different people talk and then be okay with people saying things differently. Yes. As someone that's bilingual, I'm constantly having to remember if the word is, you know, more of a Latin or there's, you know, pronunciation, some people can even when they're non-native speakers that can't roll the R's when mm. they're speaking Spanish. And I'm like, what do you mean you can't do, you know, like, that's easy. And I'm like, ah, that's right. Mm-mm. I was born and raised with it. I'm good. <laughs> it's just a difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I've even seen some of the, the TikToks that you've done regarding, um, we talked about this a little bit before, when it comes down to those pronunciations, because we're all over the place and we have such a diverse background, <laughs> tinnitus, tinnitus, you know, house, who's, tinnitus, yeah. Yeah. Tinnitus, see, it's one yeah. of those where I'm like, yeah. Yeah. As long as it doesn't have a silent H like it does in Spanish, that's what gets me. I'm like, what do you mm. mean hospital in Spanish spelled the same way, by the way? The H is silent. And I'm like, how, how do I know it's there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I have a hard time with the silent letters. And we, you get used to it when you're a native speaker to a specific language. But, and I remember I had this conversation with my wife, who's bilingual in French. And, uh, and she was trying to teach me some French at one point. And she was talking, she was showing me the word and she's pronouncing it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So the ST at the end of this is silent. And she says, no, it's there. And I was like, no, it's not. And, uh, and I would say, chalet. And she's like, yeah, chalet. I was like, but there's a T at the end. You're not saying the T. Yeah, it's there. And I'm like, where do you hear, sh- where do you hear the T in chalet? And she's like, no, 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 I can hear it. And I'm like, bullshit, you can't hear that. But she would, because she's so used to knowing that chalet, or for example, another one that we say in Canada that in the US is said foyer and we say foyer, um, same thing, right? And so you're like, well, yeah, but I know that there's an R there. And so I can hear that foyer, I I hear the R. No, you don't. There's no R, there's no R there. Stop it, stop it with your silliness (laughs) that you think that those words aren't, those words aren't silent, are silent, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, but it does, it is, it is hard because you'll have, Canadians or Americans or even people from the UK who, when I was doing some of those TikToks that have a pronunciation that they've grown up with. And if you don't happen to agree with what they've done, oh my word, you're going to hear it like a lot. And I was like, okay, take it easy. Be, be kind here. We're just doing this for fun. I would have some Canadians not all sound the same. Okay. Yeah, no, I get it. And, uh, and so it's, but it's, uh, I love language. I love syntax. I love the way words are structured. And sometimes it makes you really think about the way something is said and whether you've said it a certain way, just because that's the way it's supposed to be said, or if that's actually phonetically correct. I know that there was a great big conversation about mischievous and mischievous, right? And it's like, well, everybody says mischievous. Nobody says mischievous, but mischievous is supposed to be technically correct. But now so many people say mischievous that the dictionary is like, okay, we'll throw it in there as an alternative option. All right. (laughs) You know, and so language is always evolving. It's always changing. Yeah. And so I think that I do think that we, I had this conversation with my son. We were coming, we were giving a ride home uh, from school to some people that lived in our neighborhood. And one of the kids in the, in the car was around was around his age and i can't oh for the love of the life of me i can't remember what the the word was but i asked 
I asked her a question and I used a certain word and he was like, dad, don't use those big words. Nobody knows what that means. <laughs> and I said, did you understand what I meant? I asked the, the, the other student and, and she says, yeah, I, I understood what you meant through context. And I says, okay. He's like, yeah, but dad, you're always using these big words that, you know, like, don't, you don't need to use all those big words. Just use like normal, regular words. And it wasn't even a big word. It was just a word he wasn't familiar with. Right. I wish I could remember it because it's really frustrating me now that I can't. But it kind of, it kind of frustrated me a little bit because I, I don't know. Did you ever see Dead Poet Society with Robin Williams? Yeah, I did. And he has that one part of the lecture where he's talking about how we're losing this love of language. And he says, you don't, don't just say very sad. You're morose. Like we have these beautiful words in this English language that really are able and capable of describing what we're going through instead of just adding very to the beginning of some random common word. I'm very in love. I'm very sad. I'm very happy. Like, like you know, I'm jubilant. Let's, let's, I love having a, a uniqueness of language and using words that actually mean what we are trying to say with one word that has a beautiful meaning rather than three short words to say the same thing. And it kind of gets muddy because you love your dog, you love your pizza and you love your, your spouse. Well, okay. But hopefully not all the same way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely one of the things that it's, it's, it's very different in Spanish in that there are like almost like different levels of that form of love. And so, you know, you, depending on where that relationship is, is what you would use. And so there's mm -hmm. different ways to characterize it versus, oh, I love pizza. And I'm like, no, I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> there's a difference. <laughs> and then you have to get into the emphasis of stuff. You love me or you love me because those are two very different things. Yes. <laughs> and the hard thing is, is you can't do that with, with text, right? And no, now yeah. nobody makes phone calls anymore. That's just weird. Like you're calling me, why, why, why? No, send me a text message. I don't want to talk to you. What are you, what are you doing? But on social media and via text, you don't, you don't get to add your own tone or inflection into anything anymore, right? And so, so much misinterpretation or so much miscommunication happens because you know, somebody puts in, where are you? And the other person reads it, where are you? And you're like, oh shit, I'm in trouble. No, they're just curious to know where you are. And so you're putting your own interpretation on what they're typing. And so then you have to be so careful about how you word things. And we end up using five more uh, exclamation points than we actually need to because a period now <laughs> means I'm angry. <laughs> I'm laughing because I, to express excitement and like, I do like squee uh, and woohoo and, and exclamation <laughs> points um, as my, those are my three um, mm. to, to kind of showcase the excitement. Um, but yeah, it definitely, that's one of the things about picking up the phone. No one does it nowadays. And that the first time it happened, it was a friend of mine out of the blue. He just calls me and I was like, what did I do? Because it was just it never usually I get the, Hey, are you available to talk? And then the mm -hmm. call. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? We're not in 1990. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I've done that to a couple of my friends too, that now that I'm like, you know what, fuck it. And, and I'm like, it's okay. I grew up in the nineties. This is what we do. It's all right. You know, yeah. but yeah, it's, um, yeah. Anytime that you have to have a, an important conversation, 
I always say, pick up the phone because depending on the person's mood, they're going to read that differently. Yeah. In text versus, yeah, it is. It's It's hard to have those conversations. And I've, I've had that situation where I'm wanting to talk to an author about a particular point in a book or a question I have about something that's going on or a publisher. And it's much more rare with a publisher. I had one instance where I was like, I need to have this conversation verbally with you as a producer, not through email, because this could come off sounding really, really wrong. Is it okay if I, I call you? Now, the difficulty with the business in the industry is when you have something that's being discussed over the phone, then if it's something where there's going to be conflict later on, especially dealing with contracts or that kind of thing, verbal, it's all he said, she said. Yeah. Whereas an email, you have the evidence of what they said is there in black and white. So they want that there. And I understand that and I can appreciate that. But there are certain things in certain topics. And this is what I tried to express to them. I'm like, I understand, but this is something that I need to talk to you. That's a sensitive issue, but I need it to be very clear how this is coming across. So we had the conversation and it was a great conversation. And it was like, okay, that made it much more clear and we were able to communicate effectively, but it can be hard. And my wife gets so irritated because I will have emails that I need to send to a publisher. I need to send to an author and I'm agonizing over the wording of it because I'm trying to make sure that I'm getting my point across clearly and more importantly, concisely, um, but not giving the wrong uh, message or having the wrong tone. And so you're agonizing over this thing and trying to decide. And she's like, you spend way too much time worrying about that kind of stuff. And so it ended up happening that I had an email that I needed to write and I was constantly behind on all my stuff. And she's like, you're spending so much time on this. You're not spending enough time doing a recording. And I was like, yeah, I need to get this recording done. And I need to do this. And she is probably right. Okay. I'll make it really short and succinct. And I'll just say this. No. Okay. That's, she says, cause all that other stuff, that's, that's fluff. That doesn't mean they don't care about that. And I'm like, yeah, but it's important. It's germane to the, to the topic, to the topic at hand. And she's like, yeah, but that's not what they're asking for. They're asking for this. So answer that and then be done. So I was like, okay. So I answered that and done. And then they came back with one of the things in their counter argument. That was one of the things that I wanted to see in my original. And they came back with this and it's like, well, blah, blah. And I was like, oh shit. Because now if I come back and say, well, actually, da, da, da. It sounds like I'm just trying to come up with an excuse or I'm trying to you know, backpedal or whatever, or change what my meaning was behind what I was saying. And I come across as wishy-washy and I've painted myself into a corner. Shit, shit. And so I'm like, oh, there's a reason. There's a reason why I agonize over this stuff. Yeah, (laughs) no, and and it's not, you're not the only one. I've always would try, especially the corporate for the day jobs. I work in corporate America, lovely Fortune Mm. 500 company here. And in my emails, Again, no, un, knowing and understanding that the text and depending on the moods and all that fun stuff, I would always try to be very clear about what my intentions were as far as what I needed. And also knowing that during back-to-back meetings, I knew that I can't be fluffing egos or anything like that. So I was short to the point where apparently I was being bitchy mm. and, and it's like, no, I just said, Hey, when, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then when I changed it around to give the fluff, because apparently they need that. Um, now it's just too wordy. And I'm like, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> I'm done <laughs> because I damned if I do and damned if I don't. Oh. And yeah. And I was like, oh, really? I'm like, I'm just going to pick up the phone. I'm like, are you yeah. done? Yep. That's it. 
Yeah, it's so hard. Communication is hard and yet so important and so necessary. And that's, I think that's why I love, it's, it's, really, it's really difficult because my wife has this conversation with me a little bit about audiobooks. And I've had other conversations with other people that they're like, oh no, I can't do audiobooks because I don't want someone else's interpretation. I want my own interpretation of what is being read to be, to be there not filtered through someone else's interpretation. And I, I, I respect that argument. I appreciate that argument because yeah, if you have a great imagination and you really love the way you have created those characters in your mind and someone else is gonna abuse that or maybe do it in a way that you don't prefer, fine, fair. But on the other tone, I've had situations where I've read a book and then I listen to the audiobook, And I love getting to do that because then I have what movie played in my mind and then I have what another person interpreted that as and it it kind of deepens the story for me a little bit I can either go oh wow yeah I never would have thought of it that way that changes the way that person said this and that makes this subplot really wow that oh that opens up a whole new option of doors of the way they were feeling and their motivation behind it hmm that's really interesting or oh, no, they missed the boat there. That should have been done this way. And oh, I feel like, yeah, no, they, they totally misinterpreted that. And again, my opinion, I'm subjective. And so it's going to come across in a way that's different to everybody. And that, I think that that deepens a book. It deepens the, the story and makes it that much more rich when you have, that's why we have book clubs. And that's why we have reviews and discussions and talking about a story um, because everyone is going to have their own interpretation and you can respect someone else. Hopefully, hopefully you can respect someone else's interpretation of, of the story and still have your own idea and go, Hmm, I really like that. Or, Oh, that's changed my mind about the way I view that particular character. And, uh, and so I love, I love what audiobooks do in that way. And I love the fact that it makes it so that for myself, when I was in construction, I wouldn't have been able to read all of the books that I had, I had listened to, I wouldn't have been able to do that because reading requires that you actually are sitting down and you're looking at the text. Now you can do that if you have time where you're sitting in a doctor's office or for those weird, strange people who, you know, are able to sit down and relax quietly in the evening and read by themselves without having, you know, five different people interrupt them or, you know, things going on that, that, that require happens. their attention. And <laughs> yeah. And so with an audiobook, I could listen to it while I was working, doing my thing, because we have a lot of tasks that we do, doing laundry or driving or, you know, washing the dishes or cleaning the floor, lots of chores, mowing the lawn, all that kind of stuff that don't require 100% of your brain. There are some things that maybe, maybe your brain should be more involved with. So pause the recording and yeah. then try and change the saw blade on the chainsaw. But, you know, like... <laughs> But it gives you an opportunity to allow something that became an arduous task. I would look forward to doing household chores because I was working and I was doing stuff. And so I put in my headphones and I was able to do my work and not have worry about like my kids or my wife saying, well, we need to do this. We need, they know I'm working, I'm doing chores, I'm cleaning up, I'm changing tires and whatever I'm doing around the house. And I'm listening to an audiobook. And so it, it kind of gives you this little bit of a, a me time moment, even when you're doing something that doesn't really feel like me time. 
So yeah, that is I, true. Lo- I love audiobooks for that. Mm-hmm. Is there a genre that you have yet to narrate in that you want to narrate in? Ooh, great mm. question. Great Thanks. question. <laughs> mm. I've been really lucky. I'm trying to think. I think that there's genres that I would like to narrate more in because, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love doing lead RPG. It's, it's, I, I actively pursued it. It wasn't something that I kind of fell into. I really pushed hard to try and become a lead RPG narrator. But I love doing thrillers and mysteries. Love them. I love, do, I tried doing a horror. I don't, there's certain horrors that I'm just like, mm, no, can't do. But there's other suspenseful paranormal horrors that, yeah, I'm all, I'm all in on that. And then I kind of enjoyed what, you know what? Okay, so one of the ones that I think that I would really enjoy doing is one that really doesn't cater to my genre or to my gender, I should say, my gender. Um, and that's like a cozy mystery type thing. I kind of love cozy mysteries. I kind of have a lot of fun with those. I enjoy them. But generally, those characters are, um, the main character is a female character and they have, unless it's, unless it's a situation where you're doing a dual narration, rarely more often it would be a duet narration where you would have the male character uh, or male narrator doing all of the male roles and the female doing all of the female roles. That's just about the only way that I would get, I would get to do that genre. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's one that I haven't really got a chance to kind of sink my teeth into. And I think would be a lot of fun to do. I, I've done a few romance books and the thing I get asked to do a lot of them. I kind of turn a bunch of them down because I don't know maybe it's just the ones that are being presented to me or whatever, or the ones that I see, but I, I look at the guys in all of these and I'm like, are, are you for real? This is so toxic. He is an asshole, a total asshole. Why, 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 why is she, why would she want him? Yeah. He's brooding and he has this cool accent and he's, you know, dangerous and the kind of the bad boy and you're going to turn his, turn him around and he's going to become an amazing man for you. But Oh, that's, he's being mean for the first three quarters of the book. This is not, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I don't like that. That's just, (laughs) no. So I've kind of, I don't do those ones very much. Um, And so I, I don't know, I guess I'm too much of the, uh, the boy next door to really want to do that alpha male kind of, you know, yeah, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you want you're going to love me. You're going to be around me. And then I'm going to all of a sudden recognize how amazing you are and going to fall in love with you all over again. (laughs) There you have it. That's romance. (laughs) Well, yeah, not all of it, but then, but then, then, then you have to change it up and the character becomes really different because now they're British. So I love you and I'm going to continue to love you for the rest of my life. But first I'm going to go through a lot of damage and I'm going to hurt you irreparably before that happens. And sometimes I might decide to hurt you physically because that's just kind of the kink I have. And you're going to learn to love getting whipped and chained. It's going to be amazing. Oh, all right. I really think that's amazing. Oh yeah. Hit me again. I I don't know. It just, (laughs) yeah. 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 There's a, there's definitely, it's it's a flavor and um, (laughs) romance. The good thing about romance though, is that there are so many subgenres underneath. Mm. that um it perhaps you've been presented more with the dark romance element and <laughs> um because i could, could totally see you doing rom-com 
which is romantic comedy. And I can mm-hmm. even see you doing paranormal with vampires and shifters and all that fun stuff that have, while he may be brooding, it's probably because of some, you know, issues in the past, but he's still nice or at least like a little, might be a little standoffish, but it's not anything borderlining abuse. And I, like yeah. Yeah, I have done those. In fact, I have a one of my next, my well, I'm starting a book today. Um, but I, the book I'm doing after this is book six in a series, The Night World Academy. And that's exactly what it is. It's a shifter paranormal YA. And so it's a, it's a dual narration and uh, reverse harem. So I'm playing uh, one guy, two vampires, one shifter to a dragon and a witch, a male witch. Um, which I would normally call a warlock, but in this book, they're a male witch. And so, yeah, I'm familiar with, <laughs> with those in the brooding. And then I got to do, and this is why I think I love it, because I got to do a book actually with Sarah Puckett um, called the, the Girl Next Door. And uh, it was such a blast to do that book. And it was a rom-com with a little bit of like kind of tra- trauma in there between the two of them. But one of those things where, there's some, I, and I grew up, I grew up loving rom-coms. I was a big fan. Like, I mean, one of my favorites when I was, when I was a kid, I'm probably going to date myself here, but Can't Buy Me Love with Patrick Dempsey. Yeah. Love that. That was fantastic. I always enjoyed those, like, you know, you know, 10, uh, how to lose a guy in 10 days. And, you know, uh, all of those kind of really fun, you know, Matthew McConaughey, you know, the wedding planner and, and, uh, and I just, I, I, I like a good funny romance where they end up together and you know what's going to happen and my best friend's wedding, which didn't quite turn out at the end the way it kind of turned on its head because she didn't end up getting the guy. Yeah. But um, uh, oh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen my best friend's wedding, hadn't <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with you. Um, but I, I love that. I, I enjoy those. I enjoyed those growing up. And so getting to do that in a book was was really fun for me. And I really liked that character. And I resonated with that character. Reson- resonated? Did I say that right? Yes, it did. Um, <laughs> and so I thought it was like resignated. Great. That's a good word. So those are, those are great for me. And I enjoy doing them. I just don't get offered them that much. And, uh, and then when I am offered them or when they do come o- along, it's usually, yeah, we need this next month. And I'm like, <sighs> I can't do it next month. What can you do at the month after? No, how about the month? No, ah, you need to contact me sooner, like while you're writing the book. And then maybe we can talk about getting it into my schedule. So it's one of the yeah. things I love. I'm so grateful for. And I feel kind of weird and embarrassed to say like, I'm booked so far in advance that you have to like, you know, contact me months and months and months in advance. Um, I feel awful having to say that to people because I don't want to be that guy. But if I'm, if I don't say that, then we don't get to work together. If you're wanting the book done sooner than like six months down the road. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely that the authors are now starting to realize, especially when it comes that they're not with a big publishing house that you guys as narrators are getting booked up to six months out. So they're learning that, okay, I have an idea. This character is going to be X, Y, Z for this book. I'm going to start writing in August, but Hey, are you available? (laughs) Mm-hmm. by the time I finish so it, it's getting better but yeah sometimes there are those quick turnaround times but that's mm-hmm. I'm like I much rather wait well, even even for big publishers like I've had large publishers that contact me about doing a book series and 
it was really scary the first time I had to say, and I don't like to say no. What I like to say, I would love to, here's my availability. Does that yes. work for you? Because sometimes I've had it happen where they're thinking, you know, let's like I had, I was contacted last July about doing a book in August. And I said, I would love to, but my next availability isn't until November. And amazingly, and I did not think, I did not think they were going to hold on to the book for me, but they're like, yeah, you know what? We're cool with that. We'll wait. And I was like, okay. So I've had this situation happen with publishers where they're like, yeah, we're willing to wait. And then I've also had the situation where they're like, oh yeah, no, we, their turnaround's too tight on this. We can't, we can't wait that long, but we'll find something else for sure that we can work with and get it done. And then they do, they contact me the next week and they're like, Hey, so can we do this book together? And I'm like, well, the dates haven't really changed. I'm still this month. Yeah, that's fine. This one we can wait and we'll send it to you then. And I'm like, perfect. So yeah, it works out, but it gets hard because you hit this, when you first start narrating, you're just like, give me anything. I'll, you know, you hire me to read the cereal box and I'll do that. Um, but then you start getting to a place, hopefully in your career where you don't have to just take everything. Now you can say, yeah, you know what, that one, I don't really need to take because I have all of these other ones lined up. So I won't take that one on. And then it transitions or it transitioned for me into something where it was really hard because then you're picking and choosing all the books that you only doing the books that you really want to do that you're really excited about. And then now you have your schedule full of books that you're really excited about and something that you're really excited about comes along and you're like, well, shit, <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> I have all the, it's not like I can just go, well, I don't want to do that one. Let's get rid of that idea. Let's forget this book or, you know, we'll make room here. Well, now there's no room in your schedule. Well, maybe I can record at night and during the day. And no, you can't. You need to actually have a life. Otherwise my wife will divorce me. So yeah. And I like my wife. She's, she's a good egg. So I want to keep that relationship going for as long as I can. <laughs> I mean, 20 years, it'll be in September. Wow. And she hasn't, she hasn't gotten rid of me yet. So um, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll be able to last, you know, another 20 years. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. But it, it's definitely one of those things that it's a fear of a freelancer because that's basically what you are as a freelancer. And mm -hmm. you're trying to make sure that you have enough work to pay the bills. And then you're going, oh, I've overbooked myself. And then yeah. that's when shit happens and you get sick or yeah. there's construction work happening and you can't record because it's not quiet enough and right. fill in the blanks of things that can occur. Exactly. So it's important to give yourself those buffers aside from the family time because mm -hmm. they're not one in the same. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it is, I mean, for me, it was kind of, that was a little bit more old hat for me because I had been a freelancer, entrepreneur, construction guy for 20 years already, right? So I kind of understood the whole mentality of feast or famine and the panic of, if I don't take this job, I'm never going to get another job ever again. Um, and realizing that that's not the case, even though you come into a different industry, those fears, excuse me, those fears start to kind of creep up a little bit because I'm a guy from construction that has a high school education. What the hell am I doing reading audiobooks? Uh, this is not, no, 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 no no, this is not the way this should go. You're not supposed to be here. So you have that imposter syndrome 
expanded to like the 10th degree. And so then you start wondering, well, if I don't take this book, is there going to be another book? But you start to hit this scenario where you realize, no, no, I will be working and I will be continuing to do jobs and to record. Um, but it's not, it's never a guarantee, even, even in that. And so I, I always want to, I don't want to be someone who just sits back and go, okay, well, now I've arrived. I know exactly what I'm doing. People want to work with me and I can just not try anymore because I feel like as soon as you start feeling like that, things will start drying up really, really quickly. Um, there's a difference between that arrogance and confidence. And if you, if you, you want to portray yourself as confident and competent in what you're doing, but you don't want to come across as arrogant. I hate the idea or the concept that anybody would feel like I was being arrogant in any way, shape or form. And so I tend to err on the side of self-deprecation more than anything else, because I'm the first one to say that I don't think my shit doesn't stink. I know that I'm very, very fortunate to get to do what I do. And uh, I feel blessed every single day that people are willing to listen to me, that authors are wanting to work with me and trust me with their babies is, is a privilege that I do not take lightly. And so it, it, it becomes this thing where you go, okay, I always want to be improving. And as long as you're passionate about your craft and you're wanting to work on becoming better and honing your skills and making sure that you're doing your absolute best to honor the intention of what the author was trying to convey. That is my, I have a few things that are my mantras. One is honor the intention of the author. And two is make it a great experience for the listener as best as I can. And there's a caveat to that because you can, um, you can get so consumed with making it perfect for everyone that you end up making it good for no one because like we said it's subjective and you'll have one person that absolutely loves what you're doing and another person that goes oh gross no 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 and you have to be okay with the no's and just focus on those people that are giving you yeses and then expand hopefully that circle of yeses to more as you gradually become better at your craft it's a skill <laughs> It's definitely a skill. <laughs> and I'm very similar in that way. I, I, I always say I'm not tuning my own horn. It's almost like a phrase I start when I say, I'm, but I'm really good at the following. I can do this for you or I can make this happen. And, mm -hmm. and it's, yes, work in progress. <laughs> it's so hard, isn't it? It's, yeah. We, we, were, we were talking, I, I can't remember if we were talking about this before we started recording or not, but the whole concept of um, being confident and competent in what you're doing and yet not coming across as, as arrogant. It's just, it's really, it's selling yourself, marketing yourself, right? Um, it's hard for you. I, and you were saying this because you have a hard time trying to market yourself, whereas you're happy to promote other people. That's great because you believe in them and you think that they're amazing. And it's this weird thing. And I mean, believe me, as a Canadian, we have this in spades, in spades, where we're like, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, don't, you know, don't let me in, intrude on your, on your area, on your behavior, like, you know, I'm, I'm just over here being polite and kind, let me hold the door open for you. Um, we, we have this thing where we don't want to 
promote ourselves because we feel like that's being self-serving and it's being, you know, like very egocentric. And the challenge is, is that in reality, you have to have a little bit of egoism to kind of make it in any kind of any kind of industry, really, but especially when it comes to this day and age where so much is social media and you are trying to promote yourself or promote what you're doing or promote what you're passionate about on social media and talk about it, but not come across as an arrogant dick. And it's a fine line to try and know where that balance is. And usually what ends up happening for me is I err on the side of caution and go, oh, no, no, nobody wants to hear what what I have to say. And, uh, and I've had a number of people that have asked me to do coaching and I'm like, well, well uh, I don't know. There's a lot of great coaches out there. There's a lot of people who they're already amazing. And even with, you know, me doing a little bit of TikTok, I've seen a lot of incredible narrators who are giving really good advice and they have their, okay, so let's talk about this. And how do you get into the industry and what kind of equipment do you use? And what, how should, how should you look at coaching and what kind of coaching should you get? And, and they have all of these things that they're, you know, they're either being asked by newer narrators or um, they come up with the topic themselves and say, okay, let's talk about talking to publishers. And then they have this little 15 minute or one minute or some of them three minute clips of discussing a certain topic where they're trying to give you their opinion about that. And even though I have very strong opinions and I believe very much in what I what I would do in those situations. And I have very set determining factors of how to go about certain things. I feel like no, no, nobody wants to hear about the guy from construction that it feels like he's constantly just going, mm, can I be at the table, please? Can you, can you let me, can I be here? Is it okay if I'm here too? Um, I, I, I'm going to be a narrator, please. So <laughs> that, uh, that can kind of, um, mess with your head a little bit and make you feel like oh, I'm not worthy to be saying those kind of things or I don't want it to become white noise and have like a hundred different narrators that are all giving everyone advice that's usually the people that I look to or I, I gravitate towards saying they're all saying just about the same thing but their audience might be a little bit different and clearly other people are appreciating it and they're loving what they're doing and that's great but I kind of I don't know. I like to be the one who tries something else or does something that's a little bit maybe odd or quirky or off or especially with TikTok, I'm trying to get to be okay with, because a lot of TikTok is your version of the same thing. So we see this with the lip sync battles and stuff, right? It's the same clip of Jim Carrey or, you know, some other little clip of something else, some weird conversation and you have like 50 different lip syncers all doing that same clip, but with their own tiny little spin on it. And I, I don't know, I kind of, I don't mind the whole, you know, putting a spin on it, but for some reason, for a long time, it was like, oh, but my spin is just regurgitation. Mine is just gonna be the same, so I shouldn't do it. And so I really held myself back for a long time from being willing to put myself out there with videos because I was like, well, geez, this is just going to be the same thing as what everybody else is doing. And I was like, that's like 83% of TikTok is people doing the same thing of what everyone else is doing, just in a different way. And is your way of doing it more fun and entertaining or interesting than, you know, or reaching a different audience or whatever than someone else?
Yeah. The other thing too, sometimes is that we live in a world where individuals can kind of get like clicky and they are standoffish mm. and they don't allow others to have a voice and, or join the table. And so the, the very high schoolish, mm. the good news is the majority of them are not like that, but the ones that are also, you know, help in, you know, our self second guessing. Because we're mm. like, why aren't we not at the table? And I yeah. know more and stuff like that. So it's one of those things that you kind of have to overcome and know that sometimes you don't want to be on that table. You'd rather be somewhere else in a bigger table over there that they are not even looking at. Mm. And, and that's where you kind of have to do the different quirky, different things and figure mm. your own route. Or sometimes make the damn table yourself <laughs> <laughs> and then have people come and you can invite them over and do that differently. And yeah. yeah, that's the fun stuff. Yeah. 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 That's actually one of the things what you touched on that I find really interesting, especially when it comes to the audiobook industry itself. Um, I am astounded at how warm and welcoming and inviting and encouraging the audiobook industry is. Um, narrators encouraging or giving free advice or giving you know, of their time to explain or help newer narrators or people coming into the industry with their, with their questions or with their stuff. And it's a very, very genuine, welcoming place. With the caveat that I keep, feel like I keep using that word and I'm sorry. Um, with the exception, and it's not quite an exception, but with the, the understanding that there are a lot of people, especially when the pandemic hit. I think, I think ACX for producers that it had on ACX narrators, producers, um, before the pandemic hit, I think there was something like 60 something, 64,000 uh, producers on ACX. I, about a year, six months into the pandemic, that number ballooned to well over 200,000. I haven't looked to see what it is now, but it just went skyrocket because now everybody's at home and it's like, well, shoot, some people were either laid off and were looking for a hobby or some additional way to make money. And other people, they needed to make money and they needed a job. And so they start Googling jobs you can do from home. And you have all of this misinformation out there from a lot of people going, you could make $400 an hour by reading books out loud. <sighs> no, no. You too no. can do a book cover. Just grab the photo from this place and not ask for permission. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. So, I mean, it, it's not exclusive to audiobook narration that you no. have people trying to tout how quick and easy and what a massive moneymaker it is. But so there's, and I know that there's a number of narrators that have tried to disabuse people of this notion of it's so easy and anyone can do it. And it's just, you just show up, you read out loud and you're making $400 an hour. First of all, people get very confused about what it, what the definition between $400 an hour and $400 per finished hour means, whether you're getting $400 per finished hour, regardless. Um, but uh, a per finished hour is that however many hours that book is. So if the book is 10 hours and you're using, well, just because we threw it out there, that $400 metric, you're making $4,000. Now that sounds amazing, but when I first started narrating, it took me 10 hours to produce one hour of audiobook. And I wasn't making $400 per finished hour when I first started. Um, and so it takes a while 
to get into the place where you know what you're doing and even very, very, very good narrators, the best in a business. I think the best that you're really ever going to get is just under a two to one ratio. I mean, very impressive if they're able to get better than that. Um, it, it, incredible. But, uh, but still, that's just, it's so the, the, the way that they get there. And that's just while they're in the booth recording. That doesn't include the time that they take prepping the book, making sure that they understand who the characters are and all the stuff that goes into it. Like I try, I try to record about 100,000 words a week. Um, but that also means that I'm, while I'm recording, I am working on my next book in the prep and going through that manuscript to make sure that I know what's going on. And then I also have pickups coming from all the mistakes I made from the previous book that are coming my way that I have to fit in there somewhere. And so then I have communications with authors, I have communications with, with other narrators, I have communications with publishers on all the different books that I'm contracted to or books that I'm wanting to be contracted with or they're asking to be contracted with. And I have to look at the book and go, is this something I wanna do? Is this something I can fit in my schedule? Um, and then doing interviews like this or um, trying to have some social, social media presence. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot going on. So then you're like, all of a sudden you realize I'm reading 200,000 words a week. And then some, because when I'm reading in the booth, I make enough mistakes for 10 people. And I'm rereading the same sentence probably six, seven times uh, and going, oh, why can't I say this word? But, uh, but it, it becomes a lot. And so understanding that you sometimes have to be careful what you wish for and knowing that it's not just reading out loud. There is a, a massive difference, a massive difference between someone reading a book out loud and someone narrating a book. Because you could, I can like, and I'll have it sometimes where I'm struggling with a sentence or I'm struggling with a, a particular phrase or a particular scene, say it's a battle scene or whatever. And it's just, even though I read it previously in my, in my prep, this, for some reason, it's not clicking in my mind. So I'll look at it and then I'll go, I'm just going to read this out. And so I just read it and it, I read it through no problem. But the problem is, is there's nothing behind the words. And I need my audiobooks for myself as a narrator. It's important for me that there's something behind the words. And you can get really scared about trying to inflect your own interpretation onto an audiobook. But the honest truth is, if you're narrating, you're putting your own interpretation on there unless someone is in your ear dictating exactly word by word how to say each and every sentence. It's going to be your own interpretation regardless, however much you try. And I try really hard to make sure that it's the author's intention that's there, but it's my interpretation of the author's intentions, obviously. So you, you have to put that into your narration and put that passion and put whatever is happening in that story so that it does play like a movie in your mind. And you have this really complicated scene of all of these people battling and ducking and swooping and swiping their sword and slashing across this and blocking this and jumping over here. And, and it can get hard to follow even as you're reading it. And if I'm having a hard time following it as I'm narrating it, I know that the person who's listening to it is having a hard time following it. So I have to take a step back, make sure that I can visually make this make sense in my mind so that I am describing a scene in my brain, not just reading words on a page. Yeah, I'm very grateful when, when the, you guys are discussing things and sharing 
experiences as you when when you started and what you've learned and things like that. But I'm also an advocate too of like before you hit up a narrator as to hey how should I get started, Google, please mm. oh, yeah. <laughs> do some research yeah. yourself, uh, and yeah. then then and then you'll see in that research that there are a bunch of videos already out there um, where you can get a lot of the information. And then there are some narrators Somebody. that. Yeah, they do um, courses, little webinars on how to get started, mm-hmm. what are the best things, and and you can take those as well. So it's yeah. yeah. Google is your friend, is what I always say. <laughs> yeah, there is so much more free information out there for aspiring audiobook narrators than there ever was when I first started getting into this. So much more, and I only started five years ago. So, like, I mean, it's just it astounds me how much uh more readily and available there are of things that you can check out that you can research that you can look at for free not to mention the fact that i'm a very i'm part of a very big group of people that have started streaming a lot of their audiobook narration either where i do it mostly on discord or a lot of people on tiktok or clubhouse um even some people are doing it on facebook and instagram they'll do like clips and excerpts and stuff where you get to be a fly on the wall during their, their, their actual recording, not what they've worked on and prepped and rehearsed and done over and over and over again. So it sounds really, really amazing when they go to post it to social media, but when they're actually in the trenches doing the, the work and deciding on particular voices or making a mistake and then deciding what they're going to do. And one of the things that I, I don't know why, just because it's just part of my personality, when I'm recording in my sessions, if I change my mind or I read a sentence and I'm like, mm, I don't like that, or oh, this is different. I am not usually just silent and I go and I click back and I start recording. I'd be like, oh, I didn't like the way I inflicted on that word. I'm going to try it this way. And then I'll go and do that. And I'll say little things like that so that I have a lot of new narrators that come in and check out my discord. And oftentimes they'll end up sticking around for a little while. And I have a lot of people who are just, they love audiobooks and they love the process. I kind of, I liken listening to audiobook creation to where if they were filming a movie in your town and you got to go and sit and watch the behind the scenes and you're like in the background while they're, they're filming a certain scene or they're, they're doing something like, that's fascinating. It's really interesting to see that behind the scenes footage. That's why we have all of those new special features on, on you know, movies, movies yeah. you get the DVDs or the Blu-rays or whatever. It, that's interesting to people. People love gag reels. I mean, good Lord. My entire recording session is one big gag reel of making mistakes. I do love your bloopers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and so um, there's so many bloopers and so many things that we end up, end up happening in my discord that don't make it to any kind of a blooper reel. Sometimes I feel bad because I'm like, oh, there's so much more stuff. But I mean, when you're doing it in the moment, it's not always as easy to catch some of those things because the, the record button isn't always going. And then once you're recording it, you have to remember to like, oh, that was a funny thing or, oh, that was whatever. And then try and grab that or make a mark of it and note it so that you can save it for later. But one of the things I love about being able to do that for new narrators coming in is they've come in with these comments like, I learned so much watching you do your process because you tell me why you're making the choices or the decisions that you're making. It's not just he read that and then he read it again. And then he read it again. And well, why? Why is he? Oh, oh, there was just a click in the noise. It wasn't he was trying to make a different decision. You know, some of the things like that. So I I don't know. I just I have a lot of fun with that. And I have a lot of people that 
I shouldn't say a lot of people. I have some people that enjoy uh, spending time with us and learning about those kind of things. No, it's, it's definitely a, a really good time to want to be a narrator. There's so many resources mm. available that were not there just three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's a good chance. I mean, I really wish that they had this conversation when I was in high school about what do you want to be when you grow up? If I knew <laughs> that I could be taking photos of hunky guys for book covers or making the book covers <laughs> or being in the audio, I would have done that versus everything else I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now I'm here. So I'm with you guys. So I get to hang out. That's, That's good. amazing. Mm-hmm. When you're not working, what do you do for fun? <laughs> not working i know that's why i'm like that's why i hesitated i was like take a minute there to figure this out when you're not working <laughs> what do you do for fun um i spend a lot of time with my family with my boys um i'm i it's hard because uh i have two boys and they there there's that stage where you love them and you like spending time with them and you like having fun with them but the things they're interested in are very much not things that you're interested in. And that's okay. It's the way it should be. And then you have to be pretend to be excited and interested about Minecraft and about other things that <laughs> they're really, really into. And dad, dad, watch Dan TDM. He's hilarious. And I'm like, is he though? Is he though? <laughs> um, <clears throat> so you, you spend that time with them tolerating what they're interested in. And then they hit this stage where all of a sudden they start becoming interested, hopefully, at least it was for me, where they start being interested in the things you're interested in. And now it's a lot more fun. And you're like, now I have somebody that we can hang out and talk about really fun and cool stuff that we both enjoy. And that feels like a very brief window Mm -hmm. until they're like, oh, dad, seriously, you're so annoying. I just want to be in my room alone in the dark and like be a vampire and you know, hide away with like my, my dark clothes and my hoodie over my head and, and with my uh, earbuds and, in. <laughs> yeah. And I do, I only want to talk to my friends and watch TikTok videos only all the time. And so I was like, Oh, really? So mm-hmm. I see that with my oldest son. He's, there's still some times where he genuinely enjoys spending time with me and we get to hang out, but there's a lot of times where he's like, no, I'd rather do something on my own. And so now I'm realizing, oh, shoot, it's not going to be very long before my youngest one is going to be bored with me. So I need to really get on this train of, <laughs> of spending time with him before he starts hating me, too. And so I spend a lot of time hanging out with them. Uh, we sometimes we'll go on bike rides. We'll, I like watching movies. I love movies and books. And so my oldest son and I, one of the things we still really love to do is whenever I'm going out anywhere, wherever we're driving, we have an audiobook that we listen to together and we only listen to that audiobook when we're together and we get to share the experience. And well, sometimes I'll pause it and I'll ask him, Hey, did you understand that? Did you get that joke? Did you, and he has a really great dry sense of humor. So he gets a lot of the sarcasm and the irony and, and I'll say, now, sometimes I'll try, I don't want it to become a whole lesson thing, but I'll try very, very occasionally to make it a learning experience of why do you think, think that they felt that way? what you know so to help him understand or think actively about what other people are feeling so that he's aware of of other people having emotions that might be different than his own um and so i i i enjoy that we actually recently uh was it last weekend i think that calgary had their comic expo sort of like their um their comic-con 
And, uh, and so I took my boys to that and we, we have a great time. I love comic books. I enjoy movies and all that kind of stuff and, and artistry. So I, it's hard when you're, when your hobby, the thing that you were passionate about and loved, um, is not your work becomes your job. Yeah. Because then now that's like almost everything that you do. And uh, your wife goes, really, could you be a little bit more diverse in what you're interested in? And I'm like, yeah, but, but I like this. <laughs> so, um, no, I, I spend most of my times, you know, that I'm not working, which is very, very rare, uh, hanging out with my family and doing stuff together and trying to keep maintenance on the house and going for walks and, and, uh, and going to special events and, and that kind of thing with them. It's good. It's good to be hanging out with the kids and stuff. They grow up so fast and they're going to be in that stage for a while where they don't want to talk to you because they want to be the vampire in the room. Uh, And then they look, they, or they walk out and you're like, Oh, you're still alive. And they're like, huh? And they keep walking. (laughs) (laughs) We we have the, we know he's, we know when he, when he makes an appearance out of his room, we're like, Oh, he must be hungry. Yeah, exactly. Feed the beast. Yes. That's basically it. (laughs) One of the things that we, most of us, I think have in common is um, music, whether we love it, it's a different a specific style or specific, you know, uh, artist of sorts. What song is it that when it comes on, it does not matter where you're at, whether it's a car in a private or in the grocery store, that when it comes on, you have to sing along with or do a little jiggy dance. <laughs> so many, so many. <laughs> I love music. I love how music makes you feel. I love how music can help you get out some of the emotions that maybe you don't quite understand what you're feeling, especially when you're a teenager. Um, And so, yeah, there's a lot. I think the one that comes to mind most readily because my wife absolutely hates, hates the song. Um, And I loved it. I always grew up loving it. And, uh, and she just can't stand it was American Pie. If that comes on the radio, I am singing along to that thing. I love, love, love American Pie. Bohemian Rhapsody is another fun one for me to get to sing along with. Um, Mr. Brightside, uh, I have a huge fan of that. I have so many different. I had a, a friend um, when I was in construction before I started listening to audiobooks, and I was done with the radio because, like I said, Top 40 was just like, oh, good Lord. But, uh, but he, would come and work with me and I had all of my music on my phone and I would have this big playlist. And he was, a, he's like, is there a genre that's not on your phone? <laughs> like, what the hell? You have everything on there. The one, the one exception, and it wasn't even really an exception, was country. I'm not a big fan of a ton of country. However, you play me some Dixie Chicks and I am all about that. So yeah, which is weird, but I don't like those ladies are talented. Yes. Uh, My wife and I got to see them in concert uh, at one point and oh my word, Natalie, I think her name is, they were, they were doing that song. I'm not ready to make nice or whatever. And she, her live version, like, you know how you listen to some artists and they sound amazing on the album. Yes. And then you hear like live either in concert or you see them do like a MTV unplugged or something. And you're like, oh, oh, damn. Yeah. You should mm-hmm. never sing live. That's yeah. not working <laughs> out for you at all. Yeah. Um, she was the opposite. I literally like goose 
goosebumps upon goosebumps listening to her um, sing that song. She hit notes and registers that I was just like, what is happening? It, it was like an otherworldly experience. So yeah, the, I love music that makes you feel something that uh, whether it be something that makes you feel joy, something that like when you're really incredibly sad or you're feeling morose and you just, there's that song that just makes you want to weep or you're, you're feeling heartbroken. When I was a teenager, I would, <laughs> I would listen to, oh gosh. Um, oh, frick. Matthew Goodband. There was a song that he did and I can't remember the name of it now. It's escaping me. Uh, mine was it, like yeah. Sarah McLaughlin. It and just I was heartbroken. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, okay. So this is, I don't know if you know this band. Do you, have you ever heard of Sixpence and None the Richer? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Huge Sixpence and None the Richer fan. I had their first two albums. I, I wore them out hardcore. <laughs> I listened to those songs on repeat, sometimes just one song on repeat. And then I would go through the whole album and I listened to the whole album on repeat. And it depended on what mood I was in as to what song needed to be on repeat. But yeah, I was hardcore into that, into them. Uh, I love a lot of different music. And so I would have like, um, I'm going to butcher the name of this, but the Asiago of Strings, uh, it's a classical piece uh, that just, it's gut-wrenching uh, to hear those violins just go through this whole gambit of just restrained pain and beauty that, yeah, it just gets me. Um, Coldplay, Us Against the World, that song, mm-hmm. oh, it gets me, <laughs> gets me every time. So yeah, you get me started about songs and and that kind of stuff. And yeah, I- Another my, episode. Yeah, oh no, my voice- <laughs> My boys are like, seriously, dad, with the singing. Well, my youngest, he's all in on it because he loves to sing too. Um, so we'll, we'll sing together. But uh, my oldest, he used to kind of laugh with me when I would sing ridiculous songs and we would sing Bohemian Rhapsody together and bang our heads, head bang our, you know, head bang when we were listening to the different parts, like, you know, Wayne's World back in the day. And, uh, and he used to love all that stuff. Now he's like, oh, dad, stop stop so his voice has changed he used to be dad dad and all of a sudden it went like this and i'm like what happened to your voice where, where did, where did oh, it go? yeah apparently puberty has hit okay mm-hmm. yep mine say um are you done with your concert <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like yeah we're right now resting we're gonna resume in a little bit <laughs> yeah so yeah before- if we're in a situation where my youngest is in the car he's not he doesn't love to listen to audiobooks like my oldest my oldest we go into the car we're listening to audiobooks together and so we there's not really a lot of singing going on but my youngest sometimes he'll be like i want to listen to a, uh, a song for everyone and it's like okay or if it's just the two of us in the car then we'll listen to music and they go dad why do you know all the words to all the songs and i'm like well, i don't know all the words to all the songs but it just so happened that these five songs that they randomly played, I know all the words too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they give me a hard time about that. Yeah. It's a kid thing. I think that it's a requirement on their part. But before we go, can you tell us what you're currently working on and what's coming up next for you that you can share? Ooh, um, I just finished book four in possibly one of my most favorite series of all time finished recording it last night uh and it is uh systems of the systems of the apocalypse uh book four the quest system and it is freaking hilarious 
there are so many really great side characters. Uh, the main character is very um, practical, but very sarcastic and has a little quip for everything. And there is so many pop culture references in the book that just make me so happy. They make me so happy um, because I get to do them. When he, when he has this thing where he's like, he was, he's with a character and there's something that they were hitting. And as a joke, he uses the line from Batman where he's asking Joker, where are they? And I get to do that because he's giving the impression of Batman. Christian Bale doing that. Yeah. And so I'm like, where are they? And I get to do that. And it's really <laughs> exciting to get to do that kind of thing. And, uh, and then all of these movie quotes that he gets to put in there that I get to do. And I have to make the choice. Do I want to do this as best as I can do it? Or do I need to do this in a way that maybe the character is doing it, but he's not that good at doing the impression? Hmm. Or a undead cyborg, which is like a cross between a zombie and a cyborg, who has an AI brain that has been downloaded with terabytes of pop culture references and movies. Oh. And so now he keeps throwing in little tidbits from Princess Bride and Terminator and all of these other things. But he's saying this in an AI voice. I'll be back. And you're like, that's so freaking awesome. <laughs> so that one was really fun. I really love that series. I've enjoyed every single one of them. Um, and then the one I'm starting today is uh, Death's Favorite Warlock 3. Um, it's another kind of game lit, lit RPG cultivation uh, novel series that I've been working on. Um, again, a lot of fun stuff in there. Some really difficult things. Uh, the author, Charles Dean, is uh, uh, when we first started talking about working together and I had known he had worked with another narrator that I'm very good friends with that I like a lot. Um, he had joked about and I thought it was a joke, but it's not a joke how he likes to challenge his narrators. So he tries to come up with um, the most difficult phrasing or really unique wording to do a sentence that still makes sense to the story, but would be really challenging. Or how can I make this sentence as long as humanly possible? And how are they gonna manage that? So he, he likes to throw that kind of stuff in there for me. And then he has a lot of the characters and names are Korean. Um, but they're not necessarily Korean really in the book, but he wants those Korean names to be in there. So my pronunciation research has really been stretched. So yeah, that one's, that one's a lot of fun, especially because the main character Lars has a, uh, has a voice in his head. Uh, it's a female voice hmm. that wants him to murder everyone oh, in the boy. whole world. <laughs> and, uh, and she's very, she's a, we assume she's the god of death but um she's kind of like she's she acts like she's in her 20s and she's very been very sheltered and naive about a lot of stuff and she's never really had any kind of sexual encounters so she's trying to convince him to like you know kiss this girl or sleep with that girl and he's no i'm not interested in doing that and it's just this really weird dynamic and she's british apparently because she her dad told her that you need to have an accent that sounds more sophisticated because it's more interesting. And so she made herself have this British accent and it's Lovely. just, it's, it's so much fun to have it the sounds like it. Through them. So yeah, um, coming up, I have a lot of different stuff. I have continuations on a lot of different lit RPG series that I'm uh, currently involved with. I have a 
potential project that I'm really excited about that I'm not allowed to talk about, unfortunately. Yep. <laughs> um, but I'm also doing, uh, speaking of different genres, I was approached about doing a series that is kind of like a paranormal detective mystery novel that I am in there like swimwear. I'm very excited about it. Um, I wonder if I can mention the name of it. Hmm. Uh, this will be published in June. In June. Yeah, I'm not starting the recording. I don't think until October. Oh, no, then so, you cannot. Yeah. And now we know that there's a, you know, there's a paranormal private detective there that is. we need to look out for. And I'm, <laughs> I'm talking with them. I'm, I need to talk with the author because they had approached me about me doing the series. Um, and there's five books in the series, but it turns out in, I think, book four, maybe, maybe book three, um, there starts to be some POVs, first person. The whole series is first person POV, but there starts to be some chapters that are from a female character's perspective. Oh. And although I feel pretty proficient in my female character voices, we, I kind of like it when, especially if it's a whole, the narrative and all of it is a female POV. I think it's fun to get to work with other actors. And so if I can try and come up with a way to convince them that we should be doing this as a duet narration, because Ooh. it doesn't make sense to bring them in for just that for one those chapters. Chap yeah. Because even though the chapters get more and more towards book five, I think it, it becomes a lot more back and forth between the two of them. If you bring someone in, even if they're a female, they're still going to bring a jarring experience to, well, that's different than the way you've already, I've already heard this character. Yeah. And so I want to keep hearing the character that way, not have some weird other experience where it's not done the same. And so I feel like because we know this going in, it might be good to do it as a duet and have her do all the female voices all the way through the entire series. Nice. So fingers I'm crossed they take it. <laughs> I'm going to try and work to see if I can make that happen. Nice. Well, that's a lot of fun stuff coming up. Mm, I'm very excited. Me very too. Excited. Yeah. Well, thank you, Steve, for being part of this year's audiobook loving series. I appreciate you and your time. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, it was fun. I like getting to know um, all the different processes and how, you know, individuals got started and all that fun stuff. And I hope that everyone um, also enjoy this interview as well as a series and make sure to follow Steve over on social media, but I will include all the links so you guys don't have to go hunting for them. And they will be on the audiobook loving series page at Viviana Enchantress of Books. And until next time, happy listening. Thank you for joining us in the audiobook loving series hosted by Viviana Enchantress of Books. We hope you have enjoyed this episode as well as the series. We've included audio samples of our guests' work within the post for you to check out. Please make sure to visit the main page, link within the post, to learn more about the series, the authors, and the narrators. Please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to the series if you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to follow us on our social media platforms and subscribe to the Viviana Enchantress of Books newsletter. Until next time, happy listening. Audiobook Lovin' hopes you've enjoyed this program. 